Erev Tov, everyone. Welcome to Hargaot Kalot. I'm Perry Burbragger. And I'm Daniel Levine. Today's special guest is Sevet member Anthony Franklin. For his Hargaah, he will be telling the true story of the Wampus Cat. We recommend this Hargaah for Nachshonim and older. So lay down, close your eyes, and enjoy. So you've got to back up and you've got to understand that, that Camp Ramah is in North Georgia, which was uh, a very well-known land of the Cherokee Indian. And uh, they used to come, I mean, Cherokee, North Carolina is only about an hour, 15 minutes north of here. And so these lands that, that we have here at Ramah once belonged to the Cherokee Nation. And they used to come down in uh, the Kikar area and where the lake is now used to be a camping ground. You know, years after uh, what happened to me in 1997, I went up to Cherokee and, and hung out for a few days and, and talked to some some of the men, you know, running deer and standing bear and, and uh, climbing squirrel and swimming beaver, you know, they all took names of animals, but the, the chief was named Sitting Bull. And when I asked him about the wampus cat, his eyes would get big and he'd say, we'll talk about it later. And so I had to develop a relationship with this man before uh, he would really share what his knowledge was of the wampus cat. But the story goes like this. Um, there was an evil spirit. Native Americans didn't have a doctor. They had a medicine man that would take all the herbs and the barks and the seeds and the nuts and things like that. And they would mix them together to come up with these medicines. Well, apparently a medicine man got a few ingredients wrong, gave it to a lady and, and it caused a, a, a madness in her brain. Uh, they, they, it was called E-W-A-H. And so what happened was one night all the braves uh, and the chief was going to get together and have counsel to, to figure out what was what they needed to do with this lady. And she snuck in on them. And for punishment, the medicine man put a cougar skin on her and infused it onto her. And she became half woman and half cat and ran off into the forest. And for years and years, she would terrorize the Indians. She would scream with a high-pitched scream at night. So in 1997, Shane and I, in order to get the camp open, we were coming to work like at 6.30 in the morning 
and, and working until dark. And I lived at the time, uh, we now live on property, but back in 97, I lived about 50 miles from here. So for those of you guys who know where the cook's cabin is, the first little cabin on the right, as you come into camp, and, and back then there was only one way in and one way out. There was no key car, there was no Hotoroco, the Levine Center, there was no lakeside, there was no road around the lake. There was one gate and that was a front entrance and that was the only way in and the only way out. So about the middle of May that year, uh, the gate had a brass lock on it because the camp had not been operated since 1987. And the, the forestry asked HEMC, who, the power company, who would have to come in and read the meters to put a brass lock. In case of a fire, you could take like a three pound sledgehammer and bust the lock off. Charles Black Construction was doing all the building of Camp Ramah and they had a, a construction trailer sitting right at the top of the amphitheater, right at the, the Baydam Catan. And in the back of that, it was essentially like the old business office. If, for those of you who remember the original Ramada own business office, it was a, a mobile home unit about that same size, but the back end of it was made to put all the tools in. And about two weeks into my employment, someone busted the lock off the gate and came in and stole all the tools. So they replaced those tools, changed the lock. Shane and I were coming to work early and working until dark and then having to drive, you know, commute two hours a day. And I finally got the water hooked up to the cook's cabin and the HEMC turned the power on. Mind you, there was no cell phone service, nor was there any landlines in camp at the time. I talked to Deborah and I said, hey, I think I'll just take my clothes and take me one of those Olympic mattresses out of the trailers down below the dam and just throw it in there on the floor and, and spend the night. That'll save me a couple of hours of sleep. And she said, that's okay. So I think it was like June the 10th, uh, I decided to spend the night. I think it was uh, the eve of Shavuot, Shavuot. Hey, uh, Shavuot, Shavuot. Yeah. So I decided I'd spend the night <clears throat> and, and, you know, I, I was born blessed to be deaf in the left ear. So at night when I don't want to hear nothing, I just put my right ear down into a pillow and I can go to sleep and you guys can just do whatever you want to. So I took me a shower that night and, and, uh, got my sleeping bag and, and have you ever like fallen asleep and, and you wake up and as soon as your eyes open, you think in your brain, man, I have slept eight good hours or something has woke me. Well, before I could get that thought out of my head, it, it sounded like someone was taking two sheet pans out of the dining hall and just banging them together right outside my cabin. And, and I had hair standing up on end where there was no hair. You know what I'm saying? It was dark. I didn't have a clue what time it was. 
here I am by myself and and my mind was going, well, you know, those people that broke into this place two weeks ago has come back for the second round of tools. And here I'm going to be a witness. And I mean, all these thoughts was running through my head. And so I was laying there in my sleeping bag and the sound wasn't going away. It was just getting worse. And so I decided, well, okay, let me play this out. I've got to get up in the dark and get my clothes on and I had an old 1987 Suburban that had a diesel engine in it and for those of you who know you've got to put the key in and turn it over and wait for that glow plug light to go off before it starts and then you've got to drive to that one front gate and get out and unlock it and open it you know I was playing that whole scenario how am I going to get out of here alive without these guys or these people realizing I'm here, you know. So I get up, I get my clothes on, and I had been working in that cabin that day because our original business manager, she was Jan Blumenfeld, and she had come up just a few days before, and she says, I'm going to be staying right there, and I want some closet rods put up, and yada, yada, yada. So I had bought, went to Reeves Hardware and bought a two-inch wooden dowel closet rod and I'd put her some closet rods up so I had a little piece that was about a foot long so being Rambo like I am I thought well I'll just get this little closet rod and and I'll beat my way out of here if I have to so I eased the door open to the cook's cabin and I ease out on the little porch and I put that first foot down on the ground and my right ear is next to the building and I hear and I said what is that and it was like a a new moon that night I mean you could almost see as if it was daylight and I take another step and the leaves are crackling and I look up on the roof and I thought I saw just a shadow and I heard and I thought what is this so I start easing on and and about the time I got to the corner has, has anyone ever had do you guys have cats and you watch them play and they get down and they stalk like they hear you coming and they hunker down on the ground and they wait for you to step around the sofa and they slap you with their foot or they sneak up behind you. So I see this, this object kind of hunker down right on the, the peak of the roof. And every time I took, took a step, it would take a step. So when I got out to the corner of the building so I could make a run for the truck, just before I made a run off the roof, this thing came and landed on my back and the, the claw come around here and got me right here. I reached back. I got the cat or whatever I, it was at the time. I throwed him over into the forest and that's when he stood up. The thing stood up on its back legs. It was almost as tall as I was. And I had this rod in my hand and I just said, listen, I don't really want any trouble. I just want to go home. 
to my wife and kids and you can go on and we'll be fine. So I got in my truck and I went through that whole routine of, you know, unlocking the gate and locking it back. And I drove home and I got home and I had a big old bloody scar on my head, a wound on my head. And it scared Deborah and, and the boys and Carrie to death. But I met the wampus cat that night. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was. The camp, Miss Rogers and Miss Sales had shut the camp down in 1987. And, and this was a, a 10 years of no humans being on this property. And then all of a sudden, Ramah goes from zero to uh-oh in remodeling all kind of machinery, uh, men hammering, banging, cutting and remodeling. And these animals had taken over the, the, the facility. So Sitting Bull told me that the Cherokee Indians believe that after this lady was transformed into this half woman and half cat, that there was offspring and there had been offspring. And he said, if I went to South Georgia and talked to the Shawnees or the Appalachian Indian tribes, they would tell you that they have something very similar that lives in the swamps down there. So my advice to my own kids, my boys would never go out of the bunks by themselves. I couldn't get them to go down to bunk 910 and cut a council room light off in the middle of the night, as scary as that was. They would never leave the cabins by themselves. Now, you fast forward to about 10 years ago, and I got a glimpse of the wampus cat again. It seems like it's always on like the new moon when the, when the forest is the brightest at night that, that it gets out and it roams around. That's, that's my story. Uh, I'm going to have to stick to it. I have a scar to prove it. And uh, I just watch myself when I'm here, especially if I'm by myself. Tadaraba Anthony, Lila Tove, everyone. Thank you.